This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with the Grand Cinema. The Grand Cinema is the South Sound's nonprofit home for independent, international, and local film. The theater strives to enrich the lives and enhance the cultural vitality of the greater Tacoma community through the art of film. The Grand Cinema is dedicated to providing their signature art house movie going experience in a safe and healthy fashion. There is something for everyone at the Grand Cinema. Along with their wonderful weekly programming, they are also home to the Weird Elephant Late Night Film Series, the Silver Screen Society, Free Family Flicks, and Tacoma's Outdoor Movie Series. You can also inquire about theater rentals at the Grand Cinema by contacting their box office or website. The staff and volunteers cannot wait to make your experience at the movies a memorable one, so grab your friends, grab your tickets, and don't forget to stop at the concession stand for the Grand Signature Popcorn. The Grand Cinema is located at 606 Fawcett Avenue in Tacoma, Washington, and open seven days a week. You can find them online at www.grandcinema.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Grand Cinema. How's it? I'm Alex McCauley. I'm Max Fosberg. And I am Grant Colombini. And this is Excuse the Intermission, a discussion show surrounding the 32 most ETI-ish films ever made. Part two of the March Madness Bracket Extravaganza continues on today's episode as we will be narrowing down our, our field from 32 films to those lucky enough to secure their way into next week's Sweet 16. That's all ahead next here on Excuse the Intermission. I'm Amelia Sanson. And I'm Liz Ball. And we're the hosts of The Holy Hour. A podcast where we talk about modern dating, sex, and life in general. It's like hanging out with your girlfriends who say the things you think in private, but out loud on a public podcast. So join us for The Holy Hour, a Chatter Network podcast, available wherever you like to listen. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that a lot. Okay, guys, we're back, and we're picking up right where we left off last week. Before this round of 32 officially gets underway, however, I'm curious if after having seven days to reflect on our previous mashups in the prior rounds and seeing some of our consensus among the listeners, if you regret any of your decisions. Uh, I, I think we've, we've made a huge mistake in uh, not advancing the social network. Rear window, I understand it's Alfred Hitchcock. It's a legacy, it, but but it feels like a legacy pick. And the Social Network not being in round two, and even further than that, uh, I, I think is a huge huge blunder on ETI. Okay, uh, and we will we will burn at the stakes. Right now, da- uh, David Fincher's taking multiple shots yeah, in, yeah, in response guy. in response and to your take. I, I might be a little emotional because last night was the Global Golden Globes, and and David didn't win anything for his wonderful film Bank, and he was taking shots every single time he wasn't picked for a win. Uh, so it's just and unfortunately, and also like there's no other Fincher film on this bracket. Social Network it's was the to, only It's film. hard to believe. I went back after the round one. I went back and looked, and I was like, there's no other thing. I think Seven should be on here somewhere. That, that's kind of the big one it, for me. I, I, I blame myself, too. Mank should be on there after I, you know, how much seven, I talk about that. Seven would have been on my list, but it just has that that overhanging presence of the whole Kevin Spacey thing, and it's just hard to, it's hard to pick those movies with 
guys just being fucking assholes. So, yeah, I was... Uh, I agree with Max there. I picked Rear Window in the first round, assuming Social Network was moving on. I just wanted to talk about Rear Window. I love that movie. Um, I stand by my pick, but I do agree with Max that I think the thing I'm the the thing I most second guess is some of the placements we've had. Like I, I regret some of them falling by the wayside. Not the ones that we picked, but the, the fact that some didn't get to move on noticeably for me just off of our conversation last time which caught me a little off guard was how much you guys loved watchmen i wish watchmen was in a different category so it could have moved on as well but matched up against memento it's really hard to beat that even though max i know you have your feelings about that but (laughs) um across the board i think there's not anything besides social network and watchmen that really jump out at me that i think we should have switched but a lot of these were all coin flips i mean they could have gone either way so it's it's hard i agree i think that that bracket max that you're looking at there that the social network was in is our toughest because that's kind of where i feel like um i should have maybe fought for some films that i like a little bit more like chinatown i know you guys love the thing um but i i just chinatown and apocalypse now especially i know we talked about the rewatchability versus their their place in film history and i you know just kind of condensed my my big moment into like five minutes at the end of the podcast and so at the beginning i didn't (laughs) at at the beginning i didn't really want to wear myself out fighting for him but in retrospect i wish i would have more especially after looking at some of the early returns on some of our listener brackets i feel like you know they're they're kind of thinking the same thing no disrespect to any movie though that has moved on already we love all these films very much so very satisfied with the round two that we have as am i as am i does your guys's voting change any 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 way in any way in this round two like i feel like i'm gonna focus a little bit more on rewatchability yeah um i'd say a, a lot of my picks were kind of based on just a, a more more so for discussion's sake of what i thought you guys were gonna pick to kind of build if anything even if i agree with you a devil's advocate point of view um but i think all of them host an extremely good conversation, but I think rewatchability is kind of as it was in the first episode, just kind of the, the, the pedestal that, that that's kind of what we're pinpointing as far as a favorite movie goes. So I think that's going to be really um, key in this, in these next couple rounds. I, I love that question, Max. I definitely am. I think that as we previously mentioned too, just to be one of the 64 films that made this tournament in the first place is a great achievement. Um, but to pick up that one win in the first round for something that you just in particularly really like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like was something we were all kind of going for. But now I've I've been able to detach a lot better and just look at the movies as a whole and take in the emotional toll that they can have on me, the the rewatchability, the popcorn um, effect that you know they can have and so uh, yeah like a movie like Jurassic Park even though it beats Magnolia now I'm very excited to have the discussion about a film like that today versus another movie that if it's going to beat a movie like Magnolia why can't it beat the person who it's met the film that's matched up against today like that's just going to be a very interesting conversation to have so now. that leads me into a question I have for you guys which is more of a yes or no because we can come to it as we approach but is there a matchup in this round that you feel like you know 100% you're drawing a line in the sand and you you one already know it's going to be an argument but two there's no way you're going to go by the wayside 
I have because I, I I have I have at least two. I know I at know. least one of yours, and I'm gonna be firmly on the other side. <laughs> um, and then and then I have another one that I might have to make to the table. Um, but yeah, so I'd say about two. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So yes, yeah. to answer your question, I like yeah. that. There, baby, we're gonna have some discussions. <laughs> this is great. Um, okay, so just want to give a quick shout out to everyone who is following along with us and who turned in a bracket. Once we get a little further along in the tournament, something like the Elite Eight, probably. We will announce if anyone's predictions are still perfect, but for now, we can just say how cool it was and you know how great we think it is that so many of you wanted to play along with us while we attempt this impossible task. So the tables are set, and by now I think everyone is familiar with the bracket structure and how we use IMDb to determine where these films were seated. There will be four matchups per region this go-around. So unless we have any pressing business, let's dive right in and get to some of these very intriguing matchups. Good? Go for it. We're, we're going to need the time. So yeah, let's dive <laughs> yeah. right in. Okay. Well, I will uh, queue up our first matchup here. Um, on the right side of the – or on the left side of the bracket, excuse me, we have the tournament number one overall seed, The Godfather, going against the aforementioned film The Thing. Um, now – we can start this discussion off by saying that the Godfather is arguably one of the just top five. Um, I would say in, in the public eyes, best movies of all time. Yeah. It's, it's definitely kind of a chalk, very chalk. Thank you. Think yes. Of like the top five best movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas the thing is a total favorite of ours here on the show. And so going into this discussion after just queuing it up, I kind of want to, um, cause I would have rather have seen Chinatown in this position. I think that that would have been at least kind of, um, you know, like, uh, like the thing is a horse of a different breed compared to the Godfather, whereas Chinatown and the Godfather kind of have similar, um, you know, they were filmed or they were made around the same time. Um, a lot of the same actors, um, have crossed over into different films from that same era. Whereas the thing comes about 10 years later and is a sci-fi you know, extravaganza, whereas The Godfather is a, a, just a mob classic. So, two different films here to talk about. Why don't you guys go ahead and tell me where you're leaning? Because well, Max, this this is big for you, Max. I, I don't want. Uh, I, listen, man, I'm I'm my chest is breaking open and I've got teeth going on. I'm I'm a I'm a thing I'm a thing head. Uh, I, I'm definitely voting for the thing. I, I I think the conversation about the rewatchability of it is that. The Godfather, even though, and this will probably apply to other movies on the bracket better, but The Godfather is a part of two. So if I'm on a desert island and I'm just watching part one of a part two, that's going to be less satisfying than if I'm watching some of the best uh, practical special effects, you know, paranoia, also, it's probably hot on that island, so I'm trying to feel a little cold, and I'm in the Antarctic. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm going with the thing. I love the thing. It's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I will I will always vote thing. And where your chest is breaking open, I'm leaving the gun and taking the cannolis. <laughs> uh, I'm going Godfather. Uh, to me, I I totally get what you're saying about the part one, part two aesthetic. However, if you were to not know that there was a part two part one is still just a great complete film and it, it definitely is and then like i said it, it will that argument will probably right. line up with some other movies yeah. on the on the bracket um, but 
for me, The Godfather has always been the perfect example of if you need to represent cinema as a form of art. I feel like Godfather is the quintessential, not saying that other movies aren't in this category, but every frame is a painting. I feel like Coppola designed everything, the lighting, uh, the cinematography in that movie speaks to me almost more than a lot of the... Doesn't he do it better in part two, though? And we will get to that. (laughs) We will absolutely get to that. But that doesn't disparage from the quality and the amazingness that is the first Godfather. Kind of, I think it is... The Godfather holds too much of a staple in history to kind of go by the way. I love love the thing. When we come to rewatchability, The Godfather, I feel... There's a lot of people that watch it, and it's a little misunderstood. There's a lot of pe- I I haven't seen met a lot of people that didn't like The Godfather. I've met a lot of people that didn't really understand it and they didn't really get it, but they didn't say it was a bad movie. Playing devil's advocate against my own vote here, every person that I've ever met that said they have seen the thing liked the thing. I've never met someone that watched that movie and didn't like it. But and we're not saying Godfather is a bad movie. No, Godfather is great. I love Godfather. It's a reason it's in the bracket The bracket that's in. I will say with the thing, though, or with The Godfather, wider audience viewing to kind of push it to the pedestal that it has achieved to where, yes, the thing is a little bit more of a cult classic. I personally have a little bit more of a like a family aesthetic to it. I was raised in an Italian household. My grandfather, this is his favorite movie of all time. He quoted it left and right as I was growing up. So The Godfather holds a real special place in my heart. So I think that kind of leans into it. But... I mean, yeah, the acting alone, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando. Um, okay, so I'm going to go mean, with... I, I can stop right there. I <laughs> yeah. know exactly. I don't need to explain anymore. Um, so the rewatchability factor with these, I think that if I could just watch one of these movies five times for the rest of my life, and then that's it, no more movies ever, it would probably be the thing. But if I'm just on this desert island for eternity and I can watch these over and over and over as many times as I want, I want it to be The Godfather. Mm. Um, so I'm going to go with The Godfather. I think that whereas when you're watching a movie like The Thing, you know that even as intense as it is, there's supposed to be this level of enjoyment and kind of fun behind it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a movie like The Godfather, you know that it's supposed to be taken so serious and then it's not until like your 10th or 15th viewing, maybe not even that many, but like, and it's funny, I have this kind of written down for a lot of the movies here that are so serious. Once you've seen them enough times, you can start laughing at parts that are just not even funny because you pick up tiny little things, just kind of like the way that um, uh, James Kahn as um, uh, Sonny. Sonny just like the way he moves and walks around the frame and stuff. You're just kind of like, you're just like, ah, look at Sonny. Like, look at this shit he's doing because you don't have to pay attention to who, wait, what, who are they talking about right now? Like who's double crossed the family, all this stuff. You're just free to pick up on all the fun little things that make it such a good movie that within your first five or six viewings, you can't quite appreciate yet. I will, I will say for me, the part that you really get to know Michael Corleone is a scene that you have no idea what he's saying. The scene where he's talking to Salazzo in Italian and McCluskey's just sitting there and there's no subtitles and it's just them talking Italian back and forth. I feel like that's where you really get to know who Michael Corleone is and why he's doing this thing that everyone told him not to do, but he's still doing it for the right reasons. And I think 
I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you there of kind of the, the image and the kind of, I, I, for, I can't, I can't picture, but just kind of the, the essence that the Godfather put out there, I think is well-deserved as kind of that pedestal it has. Um, it, lived, it lived up to the hype. Your yeah. first time viewing it, you can be told your entire life that it's one of the best movies ever made and it's going to be real hard pressed for you to watch it for the first time and think, what the hell was everyone telling me? <laughs> one of the best moments in the like first couple seasons, the family guy is Peter saying he didn't like the Godfather and the entire family as they're all about to die being like, wait, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and arguing <laughs> against him. All right, Long so. live John Carpenter. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I wish the thing was up against something else. It. I, I think been. the thing might provide a little bit more. If you're, if we're gonna look at it this way, a little bit more motivation to find your way off of this desert island that we're talking about. You watch that movie and you're like, I gotta get back to civilization, yeah. man. Fuck this. Um, okay, but Godfather moves on. First film in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, the next matchup is uh, the aforementioned Rear Window versus Ex Machina. Uh, two extremely different films, uh, both made, one made in the fifties, one made in the last, what, five years? Yeah. 2014, I think. Yeah. 2015. Um, this one, again, I, again, I think social network got shafted in the first round. Um, therefore I'm, I am going with Ex Machina. I think Ex Machina provides more. I think it provides more of a complex and opportunity for rewatching because I think there's more to unpack there. Where with Re- Rear Window, although there is lots of mystery in Rear Window and you can watch it a ton of times and pick up on different things, I think if if that's a race, I think Ex Machina uh, pushes past uh, Rear Window, and it's just more it's more relatable. I, rear Window. Yeah, it's a it's a period piece. Yeah, very interesting that you say that. So, Rear Window comes out in 1954, mm-hmm. and it is all about voyeurisms and paranoia in in relationships to your neighbors. What have we just experienced more in the last 13, 14 months? It's 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 that. It's what? How well do I actually know the people who I live with or next to? And the fact that yes, I think the message behind Ex Machina. Uh, will will last for it could last for decades and decades as our relationship with technology grows and either dissolves or evolves. Um, but the I, I I just disagree. I think that the the message behind Rear Window has stood the test of time, and here we are, almost seventy years later. We are here, basically seventy years later, sixty seven, and it's still as pertinent as ever in our society. So my vote's for Rear Window. Yeah, it's really interesting that these two kind of line up because from a filmmaking standpoint, there's a couple similarities as far as caliber that goes into it. You have Rear Window, which is, yes, you have Jimmy Stewart, you have this ensemble cast, and then a bunch of extras, people for him to view out on. Um, And then, so that kind of elevates that a little bit. But then Ex Machina, you have a very minimal cast, but more technological advancements. So that kind of elevates that a little bit. But both the main cast two to three people. So it's very, uh, I kind of like this matchup. Um, I love rear window. It is in a very iconic movie for me. As far as my filmmaking ideas have been, well, we watched it in, uh, or at least we watched clips of it mm-hmm. in Mrs. Gobert's class in high school. Um, several other film classes I took 
threw in a lot of tropes of that. If you like the Shia LaBeouf movie Disturbia, it is just they. It is the offhand remake of this movie. Um, so it, it has influence. It has weight. It projects it and kind of holds it. It it's setting in cinematic history. However, Ex Machina kind of to me redefined the sci-fi genre and was able to kind of re-blend sci-fi and drama together. And like I said in the last episode, I love sci-fi movies that don't focus on the sci-fi aspect. They bring you into that world, but then they focus on the drama and the humanity behind it. And I think now with the way technology is moving forward and the way that the world is working, Ex Machina now has kind of surpassed rear window as far as the weight it holds, as far as the social questions. So my votes for Ex Machina just because I think it just right now just has a more resolute kind of effect across the cinematic world. As much as I love Rear Window, I voted over over Social Network, but Ex Machina to me just the first time I watched it blew me away. I've never been bored watching that movie and I've watched it countless times. Every time I watch it, I pick up something new. So Ex Machina to me is just too smart. And Rear Window is pretty baseline. It's very straightforward. Ex Machina, there's so many layers. Mm -hmm. So my vote's for Ex Machina. And so it moves on. So then moving on to the next round, which will, this will be a very interesting one because um, it is the Christopher Nolan's The Prestige going up against Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. And last episode, I commented on, for lack of a better term, my misunderstanding of do the right thing. I kind of had a little surface viewing. I went back and watched it again. Liked it way more. Understood it a lot more. Resonated with me exponentially more. And I think it was because of what you guys said last time. So I appreciate that. Really enjoyed the second viewing. My vote is still for The Prestige <laughs> because, like Max said last time, this is the... the I would say it's Christopher Nolan's indie darling that could be argued to be it's his, his best, best film. film. It's his best film. Yeah. It, you you have... But it's also Spike Lee's best film. I was just going to say. <laughs> right. So I I was going to leave, leave that argument to you guys as far as, as that goes. Um, but The Prestige constantly, every time I watch it, it moves up my ladder of favorite movies. I've loved it since the very first time, but I've watched it countless times. It still continuously moves up. Granted, that's the Christopher Nolan effect for me. Every time I watch any of his movies, that's what's going to happen. But The Prestige, I agree with Max. It is arguably his best film. I think Memento and Inception are the only other two you can really argue in that. Interstellar is the solid number two, no matter what else you have tied for first. Hey, this isn't a top five uh, Christopher Nolan. We're gonna, we're, I'm changing it to that. We're moving quickly towards... No, but my votes for, the, for Prestige, even though I will say the second viewing I did understand and really enjoy do the right thing a lot more but my vote is still for the prestige so my vote's gonna be for do the right thing that should come as no surprise um it, you know going back to just a, a movie that has stood the test of time and that it feels like it could have been released yesterday based off of the thematic elements the social issues and everything else that it deals with and touches on and then you also do get this young auteur and Spike Lee that really is doing some cool stuff with the camera. Um, 
I, I, I seen that gets, you know, put on Twitter, a bunch and stuff like that is the quick zoom ins on all the different people from the neighborhood. And they're just throwing out every single racial epitency that they can. And then finally it zooms in on Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Love Daddy at the radio station. She's just like, y'all need to chill. Stop it. That's just like a great, uh, just kind of snapshot of the movie, a microcosm of the movie right there. And then of course things still escalate and, and turn, turn tragic. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a movie that is just so important and, and it is, it is still making people, uh, change the way they live today. You can want, you can show this movie to somebody who, who might be, um, you know, I want to name it, you know, like call anybody a name or anything like that, but, but who could just be less aware as, as to the, the plights of, um, the black community or, you know, this movie does a real good job of talking about, um, you know, women's place in the black community. Uh, you know, there's Puerto Rican people very well depicted in this film too. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just think that, you know, and, and to mash these movies up against each other, magicians are awesome. I, that's really fun. No one's, writing their master thesis off of there's no think piece being made on, on, on the prestige. I, I get it that it's maybe one of Nolan's best, but if you, if you're going to say that I'm picking Spike Lee's best versus maybe Nolan's best, it's Spike Lee for me. This is, this is hard where like, obviously do the right thing is the better movie. It is more important. And if this was a bracket based on what is the most important movie in film history, half of this discussion is that. Yeah. Right. But also half of it is the rewatchability on a desert island where you have to watch one film for the rest of your it's, fucking it's life. It's your favorite movie to watch. Right. And not, not and again, not to say do the right thing is not a good movie. It's on this it's in this bracket. It's it's a wonderful movie. I have I've I have rewatched Do the Right Thing many a times. But out of these two the favorite, you know, you know, the one I would rather rewatch more is the Prestige. I'm I'm trying, people. I'm I'm trying. I'm sorry, but I'm trying. I don't want to be on a on a desert island. I don't know. I don't want to be on a desert island watching do the right thing over and over again. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah, I I agree. I agree with Max there. I, like like we say before, none of these movies that make this bracket are bad movies. Yeah, we all recommended they're great movies. But yeah, when it comes down to it, the Prestige just has. I mean, every time you watch it, you get something more. You get you get a little you get a little something else. Do the right thing is in your face. It's right there, and you can rewatch it and you can learn more things. But I mean, like I said, this was the the only two times I've ever watched it is in the past three weeks in for this pod and i don't know the next time i'll watch do the right thing i can tell you the next time i watch the prestige is probably right after we record this episode all right so then the next matchup is uh rosemary's baby one of our few remaining horror films versus city of god our only foreign film um now this is a really tough matchup two films that i nominated i love them both city of god was a film that the first time i saw it um it, it just blew me away. Um, this is the first time I'm going to kind of talk about this um, aspect of my voting as far as this round of 32 goes. But um, 
I love when I can grow and age along with the movie's reputation. Cause I saw this film like a year after it came out. Um, and, and now the fact that it's just kind of turned into still one of the best foreign language films of the 21st century. I love that about it. Love it, love it, love it. And then it's going against Rosemary's Baby, which I also love because then going back on what I was saying about The Godfather, this is a movie that lived up to the hype. I was told forever how good and how scary it just even just the movie poster. So iconic. Just that that baby carriage up on the hill, the black and green, the white font. uh, And you see it. And for me, at least completely delivered. I love a slow burn um, of a horror film. This is kind of one of the first of those in the modern era. Um, and so on my bracket, I have Rosemary's Baby as my vote. I feel like I'm going to lose this one again. And I have no problem with that, though, because City of God is phenomenal. But I just wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't vote for movies like Do the Right Thing, Rosemary's Baby, and Rear Window. Those are some of the most important films to me. Yeah. Um, I watched City of God for the first time for this bracket and was completely blown away immediately captivated on the edge of my seat immediately jumped into my top five favorite foreign films i've watched it twice since then so i've watched it for a total of three times um it's an amazing movie as much as my affiliation for horror movies has grown obviously through this podcast especially our last october um i do really enjoy rosemary's baby i every point alex just made about the movie the you know this the imagery of it is absolutely warranted. However, to me, City of God is not only more rewatchable, but also more important as just giving you, as us, as Americans, a snapshot into a world that we were at one point, a small sliver, either our parents or we were alive for, um, and kind of see this immensely different world. Plus, side note, I don't know if I'll get to talk about it again in the next round, so I just want to throw it out there. There's a point in this movie where I was so caught off guard that I got so excited. Um, where they're at a club and everyone's dancing, even people that are on odds and ends of each other, but they're all at the same place. For Benny. For Benny, yeah, yeah, Benny, yeah. Um, and uh, Benny tells uh, Lil Z, like, hey, man, you need to, like, find a girl. Like, you need to go, like, find a girl. So Lil Z goes to ask a girl to dance, and she says no. But the song playing is So Very Hard to Go by Tower of Power, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. So when I first heard those first keynotes, I was like, oh, I know this No, song. they didn't. Well, and plus, it's taking place at the time that Tower of Power was in the height, which is the mid-'70s. So to me, that just, like, I just got wrapped up in that. And then from then on, I was like, man, this is good. So that, that was a little awesome point for me specifically but city god from beginning to end was an amazing film that i we always talk about this never picked up my phone once and i watched it for the first time Mm -hmm. just two weeks ago and i've watched it twice since then so great film so my votes for city of god and and i'm going for city of god as well uh just to me it's it's more of an entertaining movie uh it's faster pace it's you know i'm i i like a slow burn but again Thinking about the rewatchability and being on an island, uh, City of God is going to entertain me longer. Uh, and you'll be able to you'll be able to speak Portuguese by the end. Hopefully, of, by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many little like little tiny story vignettes to where you can just it's like a Tarantino movie. You can jump in at any point after mm-hmm. you've seen it, and you can just keep riding along. That's right. All right, so that does it for our first region. Um, 
who got the worst draw out of here, who, uh, what was the toughest matchup. And um, I think it's pretty obvious who the big sleeper still moving forward is. It's got to be Ex Machina, right? Or is it the Prestige, actually? Who knows? I, I'd say the one that got... I think Ex Machina is the one that's definitely turning the most heads among yeah. our listeners yeah, right Ex now. Machina, that, that's the sleeper. It's probably the sleeper. I, I think Do the Right Thing got... Got it was just in a bad position. Yeah, that yeah. and and the thing. I think the thing probably got done the most dirty in this round. It was well, up yeah. against the Godfather yeah. and it up against any other movie. I think it had a way better chance. But um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Do the right thing and the thing kind of got a little short shafted. I think but. the Godfather and the thing to me at least for me at least was the toughest matchup too because I I knew Max the way you were gonna go and so I had this whole battle with myself today where was I gonna try to subvert the 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 norm basically the well, chalk you knew pick where I was gonna go because I knew where so, you yeah. were gonna go and so I just thought like should I just play a chaos agent right now and just have the whole film world mad at us for you know knocking the Godfather off in the second round so that was actually a tough decision that I had to kind of. Uh, battle with but no the, it, it was the godfather in the end but that was a pretty tricky decision for me at least moving on to the next bracket moving let's do it the next, next region next region uh the Down next south. the next matchup is uh inception uh, which i went back and rewatched, and, and there's some questions there and it's going up against ridley scott's sci-fi masterpiece blade runner um which is interesting. It's so. Here's another thing I'm, I'm thinking about while I'm voting for these movies: is where are these directors? Because we love directors. Where are these directors uh, represented in other places of the bracket? Right. Um. Like we know that there's a lot of Nolan on, in this bracket. You know, there's a, obviously a couple. There's a couple Ridley Scott movies. Um, there's a lot of Francis Ford Coppola. There's a lot of a lot of Alfred Hitchcock, a couple of Tarantino, a couple of Tarantinos. So it's interesting to think about that too while while we're voting. Anyways, going back and watching Inception, that movie is kind of overrated. Like it, it is very, it's it's very entertaining. It's very great uh, as far as like a piece of mo- movie popcorn. I like watching Leo and and Tom Hardy and all the guys and Jay. J, JGL on on screen and and talking about dreams and and doing this heist and whatnot. But after watching the Prestige, and then watching Inception, the Prestige is just so much more. I feel like it's just on a different level of, no pun intended, of Prestige compared to Inception. Inception is so much more of a popcorn movie and so much less complex than something like the Prestige. Um, Therefore, I, I'm, I'm going with Blade Runner here. Uh, I really, really enjoy Blade Runner. And that, and talk about complex. I mean, that's something, that's a movie you can watch over and over and over again and still walk away with more questions. I agree with everything you just said <laughs> while voting the opposite direction mm-hmm. because, yes, the in- Inception is Christopher Nolan's more popcorn approach. However, that's at surface level. It was meant for you don't like the, probably more people walked out of the prestige confused than walked out of inception confused. People walked out of inception probably discussing and questioning more, but not confused. They were more wondering prestige first viewing is confusing. 
Mm-hmm. Rewatchability, you watch it, you discover more and more and more and more. Inception, surface level, entertaining, captivating, keeps you in, you get the ending. The more and more you watch it, the more layers get peeled back, the more depth the movie has, the more uh, you know time you realize Christopher Nolan really spent writing this and creating these. The small Easter eggs of the initials of everyone's names, you know, the small... Uh, you know, the theories you can have where I wrote an entire paper when I was in college about how my personal opinion is the entire movie, uh, Cobb is in a dream state. And when Maul killed herself, she wakes up in reality. So there, it's like a movie that can offer discussion and just an amalgam and just wrap people in, I think says a lot. Blade Runner, a masterpiece, as you said took me a couple viewings to really understand it. It's a little bit more confusing the first time you watch it. Rewatchability, I think both of these have in <laughs> spades, but it's the flip side of the coin. It's the you get the surface, you watch it again, you discover more. You watch one the other one one time, you don't understand, but you watch it more, it all starts making sense. This, like I said at the beginning, this was the one for me. This is the hardest matchup. I think this could potentially this could have been if you remove some other movies, this could have been the finals. These were all placed in the right way. This could have been the the one-two matchup at the end. I love both of these movies with every ounce of my being, but I firmly believe that Inception is one of the greatest movies ever made. I think it could possibly be the best movie I've ever seen. I had the best experience in a the theater at this movie. Every time I watch it, I have a blast. My vote goes to Inception. The theater experience of Inception is something to be said. That was a very awesome, awesome thing to to live through. Um, but that's just the problem. I lived through it. Too many films from the 21st century have already moved on. So my vote's for Blade Runner. Wow. Just, just, just stab that right there. All right. <laughs> well, uh, quick. Moving on. Well, shit. My bracket just got demolished. Um. Moving on to the next one, this will be, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more from Alex on this one than we did in the last matchup, but it's um, Vertigo up against The Shining, two of Alex's favorite movies of Correct. all time. Yep. Um, I'm just going to go, I will take Alex's note and I will just go short and sweet, straightforward, I'm going The Shining. I, as am I. It's, as as yeah, am I. Clean, clean sweep. sweep. Clean yep. sweep. Perfect. We'll yep. talk about it next time. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Love Vertigo. Um, you know, talking about are we taking the best of a certain director? I do think that Vertigo is Hitchcock's best, at least that I've seen. So, um, you know, not to dis- disparage anything that he did on that film, but the the Shining is the Shining is the Shining. Yeah. Okay. The next matchup uh, now in this bracket, our third is. Another Christopher Nolan movie um, it is Memento versus another Stanley Kubrick movie, A Clockwork Orange. Uh, two very important films, um, two films that have had their place in the film discourse for a long time, basically since their re- um, respective releases. Um, my vote's going to be for A Clockwork Orange here. Um, I'm just such a Kubrick fanboy. Um, Nolan, I've always really respected him. And enjoyed his movies. Um, but as far as somebody who I will take to a desert island with me, it's Alex DeLarge, the Droogs. And, you know, if we're going to say that um, Ex Machina's, you know, paved the way for the modern day discussion about 
um, technology and, and our um, relationships with machines and things like that. A Clockwork Orange did the same thing for media and violence in the media back in 1971, and it's still as pertinent as ever. So, um, yeah, I think there's just a lot more to bite into with A Clockwork Orange. I think no matter which, which movie I take out of these two that I take to a desert island, I probably end up throwing them off of, uh, out into the ocean. But I'm taking a Clockwork Orange. I've I figured as much. Um, I'm obviously voting for Memento. Clockwork Orange moves on, but Memento will always be just a huge staple. Um, one of the most well thought out movies. The fact that Christopher Nolan wrote it from front to back not like he wrote a story and then decided to cut it up like he wrote a story backwards will always blow my mind um memento is one of the greatest indie films of all time just throw that out there but clockwork orange huge staple in cinematic history can't argue with that so it moves on going off from that goes to the bottom now this will be an interesting one i already think i know where this is going um but we have no country for old men going against lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring Bef- I'm I'm going to start it off by saying straight up, because of the one that it's up against, I'm going No Country for Old Men. I think if you were talking about rewatchability, No Country for Old Men, I can watch that a lot. The Fellowship of the Ring, I'd rather watch one of the other two. And I'm sure that argument gets, you, you know, we made that argument for the, you know, Return of the Jedi last. Well, know, we made argument. it 20 minutes ago for The Godfather. Exactly. Max did at least. Yeah, you know, exactly. Um, no Country for Old Men is such a unique, awesome, cool. Standalone piece standalone of piece story. Of just cinematic art. Yeah. Candy. Cinematic candy. Yeah. Yeah. Cinematic. That's perfect. Yeah. So my vote is for No Country for Old Men. Ah. I'm going for No Country for Old Men too. Okay. Uh, Lord, of, Lord of the Rings is 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 one of my favorite movies of all time. But again, staying consistent with what I was saying about The Godfather, it's the first part of a three part series. I don't want to be watching the first part of something over and over again and not being able to have any sort of conclusion. No Country for Old Men, Roger Deakins, uh, and one of the greatest villains of all time uh, from Harvey R. Bardem, like. Give me that every day on a desert island. I'm in. So I couldn't get fully on board with this take when it came to The Godfather. But when it comes to Lord of the Rings, a film franchise that I, too, dearly, dearly love, um, I I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to myself, To even if it's the extended cut, for Christ's sakes. Like, there's no way I could be on a desert island. And just get the first third of that story mm-hmm. and just have to watch that over and over and over. So give me the closed loop. Give me a great movie beginning to end. And that's no country for old men. Yeah. Uh, you know what? On my bracket right here, I didn't have that. But as we're talking through it, it just makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting that. I was. No, <laughs> I thought yeah. you guys were pushing Lord of the Rings through. I'm excited about it. Well, we. I, I know we have at least one listener who is probably listening to this in his car and is like honking the horn, going, "No, you idiot!" <laughs> Just slamming the dash. <laughs> um, I will say, if we don't get to touch on it next time, but um, No Country for Old Men, as much as it does in the argument of Lord of the Rings, have uh, you know, Lord of the Rings has an amazing supporting cast. You have this amazing list. I mean, you, you going back and rewatching No Country for Old Men, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, absolute Josh Brolin, absolutely amazing. Garrett Delahunt 
in that supporting deputy role, the like, what was it the fifth time viewing for me? Stole the show for me. His little scenes. I was like, Garrett, man, I love it. Um, <laughs> so I was stoked about that. Something else too, it's just funny about casting. When you go back, because I just went back and rewatched, or I got to go back and rewatch all the LOTR films in the theater. Mm. So you're sitting there through the credits. You guys know who this second build person in the Lord of the Rings movies is? Kate Blanchett? No, but you're on the right track. Uh, Liv Tyler? Yes. Liv Tyler's the second build person. That just (laughs) kind of cracks me up. Um, Hey, Samuel Jackson has top bill in True Romance. It's on screen for 15 seconds. So Literally. I, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think top billing has anything. So funny. <laughs> no, it does in those contracts. It certainly does. Yeah. Um, okay, so just overall with this region, um, as tough as maybe the last one was, at least for me personally, I think this one for all of us as a, as a group here, there were some real easy, you know, like some of these movies had a cakewalk to the Sweet 16. Like, in my opinion, I think The Shining cakewalked to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Nothing, nothing against The Shining or a movie. Like, for me, Blade Runner cakewalked to the Sweet 16. Same with The Clockwork Orange. And I know that that means it's it beat two Nolan films for you, and you could probably say the I, same I, on the other I side. I would say Blade Runner wasn't a cakewalk for me because of my prediction brackets, my personal brackets, and then even after our last episode, I did a round two projection mm-hmm. bracket. I still had Inception moving forward. Um I had a inception winning it a lot in my, in my brackets. Um, uh, but The Shining, even though I did vote for Super Bad Round 1, I knew it was going to move forward. I just wanted to start mm-hmm, the movie mm-hmm. a little more. But Shining, I think, was a cakewalk. All the other ones, Memento Clockwork, I thought was a coin flip. I was very surprised at The Lord of the Rings. I thought you guys were going to push that forward and... But here we are with a great movie instead. Not saying that Lord of the Rings isn't a great movie, but... Well, and I'll tell you what. Next week's episode, this bracket might be... This gets so hard now all of a sudden. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's a pretty good recap there of the left side of our bracket, the first half of this episode. So before we continue on with the second half, let's pause and hear from one of our friends at the Chatter Network. Have you ever experienced anything difficult and not felt like you had an outlet? I'm Haley Crow, the host of Facilitating Voices, an outlet podcast where we discuss complex topics surrounding mental health, social justice issues, and interview people with real and raw experiences and exposures to trauma. Tune in to learn, grow, and realize you're not alone. New episodes released weekly on the Chatter Network. All right, we're back and we're on to the right side of our bracket. So for our third region, we have the matchup of The Godfather Part 2. Boy, I feel like I've said The Godfather. I think we've all said The Godfather a lot already on this episode. All the Godfathers. (laughs) Versus versus Prisoners. Um, Two films I know we both, all three of us really, really like. and so, yeah, I'm interested to see what you guys are going to say. I'll just um, – I'm going to go for Godfather Part 2. As hard as that is to watch a sequel as your one movie for the rest of your life, I think that this is such a unique sequel because you get the before story with the Marlon Brando character played by Robert De Niro in this film, the, the Don Corleone. Um, and so, yeah, I think you get the best of both worlds. You get a, you get a complete story while also getting a sequel. As much as I, as much as I love Prisoners and I love Denny Villeneuve, and I think he's one of the greatest filmmakers we have, and he can do anything. 
Uh, I, I'm also going with Godfather Part Two, and again, I think Godfather Part Two is is rewatching that and Godfather Part One recently, which I've always been a Godfather Part One guy. Godfather Part Two is leagues above it, uh, and so I was gonna pick Godfather Part Two, you know, and and that's why I picked again, you know, against Godfather or whatever, but and also because it's the thing. But uh, Godfather Part Two gives you gives you two. Gives you two movies in one, uh, and it's it's something you can you can sit and rewatch over and over again, and oddly feels more of a closed loop than Godfather Part One. And to that point, exactly, I was going to say you can watch Godfather Part Two without seeing Part One, without knowing anything about it, and it is still a phenomenal film of you understanding who Michael Corleone is from beginning to end because you see the history of his father before him. And you kind of see what sets him up for that. Um, that's all I'll say for that, because I know we're going to talk about it more mm-hmm. prisoners is I don't understand how Hugh Jackman didn't get more. Dude. Some of the best performances of the 2010s is in prisoners. Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, one of their best performances. Paul Dano does so much with maybe like 30 lines of dialogue. I would throw Terrence Howard in there too. Oh, absolutely. Who is all, for all we know, is a huge shithead on sets. But wow, does he really bring it? No joke. This morning, when I woke up just scrolling Twitter and being a part of film Twitter and just random scenes popping up, someone literally said, I don't know how Hugh Jackman didn't get an award for this. And it's the scene of him pinning Dano up against the the wall with the hammer on the sink. And the thing, like watching that twice. The first time I was like, it just brought me back to the movie of like just watching Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano and their emotional uh, reaction. I know but, what you're going to say right now. But I'm the so second stoked. time was watching Terrence yes. Howard in the yes, background yes. to where it almost felt like Terrence Howard was reacting to Hugh, it, oh, totally. not the Absolutely character. was. Totally. He is scared of Hugh Jackman in that moment. There are, how could as you he, not be? How could you not be? He's smashing the sink and you can see microscopic little pieces of porcelain flying back up and like they yeah. reflect off Terrence Howard's face and yeah. he's just like I can't fucking break right now even though I'm probably about to piss my pants because this is such and it's, a shot and it's in between the second and third hit of the sink and it's after the third hit where Terrence is like okay this he's I've got to let him do his thing and then when he goes to the wall right next to Paul Dano's face the, the look on Terrence Howard's face I was like that made this scene. That I feel like crazy. doesn't Terrence Howard kind of like slump to the floor after that scene? Right, right. It's right. And after. like puts his hand on Paul Dano. It's yeah, like physical exhaustion. That. And also, by the way, Viola Davis is in batting this like fifth or sixth. Yeah, <laughs> insane. Yeah. Absolutely um, insane. So prisoners. Prisoners is the most underrated movie. It's available on oh, Hulu yeah. right now. And, Go watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you talk about every frame of painting. That movie, every frame. Even Jake Gyllenhaal in a Chinese restaurant from just the over the mm. shoulder back, mm-hmm. just every frame in that movie yeah. since is we, shot so well. Since it might not be, or it could be a while until we get to talk about this film again. <laughs> um, yeah, let's all look. I think that... Let's all go prisoners. <laughs> I think. Det- Wait a minute. Godfather 2, what? No. <laughs> I think Detective Loki is like, should be like our hair icon for this show. I think we all want, like if we got to go crazy with our hair, Oh, the I definitely de- did a low-key at one point. I've got a little bit longer cut. on the sides, but yeah. <laughs> I always try to avoid the Hitler youth look, but he he did it right. 
That it's way, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. And just like his eye twitches and everything he's yeah. doing in the, that the movie. Blinks. The blinks. Yeah. The blinks, especially when he has, <laughs> when he's leaning on his elbow in the interrogation room. Yep. That, I mean, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal, one of his best performances, if not his best. Yeah. That's another episode. <sighs> Moving on. Wow. Moving so on. We love That's you, prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> Wish you were up against someone else. Right. But Godfather 2 uh. is just too good. Uh, so the next one, again, I am completely torn on this. I still, at this moment, don't know who I'm voting for because I want to hear your guys' cases for each movie because it's Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino again, up against Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, I, I will throw it to you guys. Like I said, I don't know where I'm going. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm straight up, no question, as much as I love Alien, I'm going Inglorious Bastards. To me, not only is this a fun film for the audience, you can tell it was a fun film not only for Tarantino to write, to direct, but for every single actor to be a part of, including fucking BJ Novak Ryan from The Office. Has the he's the little man. Like you can tell, like everyone's having a good time. Mike Myers. Mike Myers has a small role. That be a good chap and pour yourself some scotch. It's bars, over in the globe. Bars in the globe. Bars in the globe. Thank you. If you offered me a scotch and plain water, I'd have a scotch and plain water. <laughs> yeah. Something for you, sir. Whiskey. No junk in it. Like, it's just like, minor parts wow. of this movie are just fucking phenomenal. Awesome. They're, they're, um, it's, it's great that Tarantino dives back into his chapter progression. So you can really, even if you're not a, like a big movie watcher, you can stop and revisit. Or if you're like me that have seen the movie thousands of times, you can just jump in at any point and be captivated until the end. Um, I love every single acting performance from this, from Melody Laurent to Brad Pitt to Diane Kruger to Christoph Waltz to Eli Roth. Like, everyone has just an amazing role. Alien is a phenomenal sci-fi horror movie that I hate is up against this movie because I love Inglourious Bastards so much. I will say, hands down, Inglourious Bastards is my favorite Tarantino movie it may be my favorite Brad Pitt role. It may be my favorite Christoph Waltz role. It just may be one of my favorite movies. So I'm going in Glorious Bastards. As am I. Um, we can talk Making about... Making that easy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Glorious Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we can talk about it more going forward. Obviously, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, but this goes back to what I was saying earlier, too, about um, experiencing a movie in real time and then letting its reputation grow with you as a moviegoer who who did get to see it right away. It's so cool, I think, because for so long, we were in this camp of like, yeah, like I love Pulp Fiction, but you know, we were all like four or five, six years old when when that film came out. Even like movies like Jackie Brown and and then going into Kill Bill. Kill like Bill, we were eleven, eleven or twelve. When Kill I think Bill came I think out. I still saw it when it came out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but but no, a movie like Inglorious Bastards, you get everything that's going on. You get your appreciation for the camera tricks, the camera work, the acting. It was almost our generation's Tarantino movie. I it think was, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and also too, we've already expressed how much we love Alien on this show. Another movie I'd say, aside from maybe the thing that we've talked about the most mm-hmm. on this podcast um, to this date, you put it up against sixty of the other sixty-four movies. It moves <laughs> on, but for some reason, it gets put in this category. And milk's never looked better on screen. Major <laughs> la petite, pour me up a glass. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Anything? Any last words? Any any final words for uh, Alien? If it's gonna go out, uh, do you we, mind we, if it doesn't? Love, speaking I, of the queens, I, I love the xenomorphs. I, you know? I, I, I will say about Alien, and I think I've mentioned it before, maybe on the uh, horror podcast when we did it, but when you talk about movies that are great, you know when you're parodied, it you know you made it, and the space ball scene of the chest burst with the, hello, my mama, hello, my baby, hello, my darling, <laughs> that scene, like, to me, I saw that before I saw Alien. And then seeing Alien, it just makes it all a little bit better, so... And, you know, it, you know I, Alien's a good movie. You know it is. You do. I love when movies do this, okay? Um, and this doesn't make me mad as a cinephile or anything else. It just gives me a greater appreciation for that film. But I love when a movie can exist in the zeitgeist for what it isn't. Like, I think that so many... It, like what, Like, here's a good example of this. Like, Friday the 13th. Lives in the zeitgeist. Jason's the killer, right? Nope. It's his mom in the first one. You don't know that unless you've like watched it, mm-hmm. you know, but everyone knows Jason Friday the 13th. I think that probably close to 50% of the population knows Alien as like the face huggers, the chest burster, the, the you know, girl. like, and, the, and, the, the and then they think yeah. that like the xenomorph is like this whole the, other the thing. They don't get the, the mouth. Yeah. The, the they don't get the jaw. evolution of it and stuff. They just kind of think that like, oh yeah, because I mean, especially I don't, do you have a face hugger? COVID mask, Max, don't you? Or have you no, looked I at getting not. one? I've, I've definitely looked at some. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there, and that a... just goes, that goes to perpetuate that is that like, there's two or three different things from that movie in space. No one can hear you scream. You say that tagline to someone who has never seen Alien. They're going to be like, oh, that's like the line from Alien, right? So yeah. I love it. It holds weight, even Big though time. it doesn't move on, but it holds weight. Moving on. We're going to an interesting one. I'm I'm very curious to how how this goes, and I'm going to start off by voting for the one that I like. Uh, but we have Moneyball going against There Will Be Blood. I think I'm going to go the dark horse here. I'm voting Moneyball. I think the cinematography in this is me a baseball fan. The rewatchability goes a long way of being a calm movie. Yes, it is exciting. Yes, there is this. Almost the let's get the 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 band together, let's get the team together. Almost the heist movie of the you know the scouting and like finding all these guys that will create this team. That is a true story of the Oakland Athletics setting records in the year two thousand two. Um, as a baseball fan, this movie holds a lot of weight. As a film guy, the cinematography, Wally Pfister, anything this guy does, he is he he's tied for me with Roger Deakins. Um, I think this guy is underrated. I think he went away from Christopher Nolan too soon to do his own thing and then kind of has not done anything since, and I hope he comes back. But the guy is just a genius when it comes to it. Brad Pitt has just a tour de force. But, I mean, it's going against There Will Be Blood. Daniel Day-Lewis, you can't argue, is one of the best actors, if not in the top ten best actors of all time going into it. Drinking milkshakes and all, all that shit. But I am I am going Moneyball. Moneyball just holds the... I can watch that. When I need a feel-good movie, Moneyball is in my top five list of something just to throw on in the background to get me in a better mood. Um, so I'm going Moneyball. Billy Bean, I drink your milkshake. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going there will be blood. Um, PTA is my guy. Love Paul Thomas Anderson. Daniel Day, another great Paul Dano performance as well yes. in this film. Yes. Um, everything you said about the cinematography in Moneyball can be said in spades when it comes to There Will Be Blood. True. Some of their use of natural lighting out there just in the, in the, um, you know, Southwest just that after just watching nomad land it's funny um the the american southwest provides the most spectacular natural lighting in in films and this movie really hits it um hits out of the park with that no pun intended going against moneyball um and it's funny i'm looking at like a potential finals matchup here between like if there will be blood and no country for old men matchup against each other i don't know what the fuck we're gonna do um that's going to be if that's what it a is. Three hour long episode. Right. Um, where we might just we all literally be dead just by the watch end the mo- we just play the movies and let you decide. I love that. I love that idea. Um, but no, I'm going to vote for There Will Be Blood here in this matchup. Uh, yeah, There Will Be Blood. Moneyball is a beautiful movie. Uh, I, I was it was cool to be departed, get out of there, upset uh, out of the first round. Um, but There Will Be Blood, in my opinion is the best movie of the 2000s like it and and it is the best movie of pta who is one of the best directors living directors right now absolutely um, agree with you there it, it's just the apex of period piece filmmaking and it is i don't know I, we'll get into it more but like not only the shots but the sound is just amazing For, absolutely amazing. the fact that it's moving on i will say before i saw the movie what, if there was a category of like the most harrowing scenes or like your favorite lines from movies you haven't seen was before I saw this. And it was, I think it was just like a clip when he was nominated for something. And it was him when he's just talking about like, he was my son. Like that line. I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I know that's a good movie. All right, so There Will Be Blood moves on and uh, to the Sweet 16, and in its Sweet 16 matchup, it'll be playing the winner of Mad Max Fury Road versus Interstellar, another Christopher Nolan film, um, which I um, admittingly sat on. Max, I think you know this. I actually think I finally borrowed your Blu-ray copy to watch it maybe two or three years after it had come out, and I really liked it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um both of these films are on-screen spectacles. You know, one of them um, leans a little bit more into um, CGI, the special effects that we think of nowadays in the 21st century, whereas then the other one, you you think that what you're seeing is special effects, and then it turns out not to be. 80% of it's, you know, done in camera, which is probably why I'm going to put Fury Road... I'm going to vote for Fury Road over Interstellar, Um I just think that George Miller coming off of not a, a, a hiatus of filmmaking, but just he hadn't made a movie like Mad Max since he left the franchise basically back in the eighties, you know, he had been working on movies like happy feet and stuff like that. Um, so for him to come back, this movie gives us Furiosa, potentially the best female action. Let, take, take the word female out of it. I think Furiosa is just one of the best action stars that we've had in the last 10 years in movies um her and tom hardy their chemistry on screen is great i I love that 
I believe Tom Hardy was pretty difficult to work with on the set of this. That's been documented. And then afterwards, he just like issued a total apology to George Miller and um, Charlie's Theron because he was just like, okay, now I get why you guys just put me through hell, basically, because this looks phenomenal. I'm so happy that I was a part of this. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll see what goes, we'll see what comes from this franchise, but this could be one that I really do get behind as not being a big IP person, but when get Anya Taylor-Joy is potentially being a Furiosa and a prequel, she is in a Furiosa prequel. Okay. Um, that I just love that. And so, yeah, for everything that this movie did in the moment, um, got like eight, um, Oscar nominations, eight or nine, Cleaned. and then in all the technical and all, the, I think it won six Oscars in and basically all the technical categories. Um, but yeah, the cinematography is incredible. I, I love Fairy Road. Rewatched it last week, and it's just it's great. No, no disrespect to Interstellar though. That is one of my like more recent favorite Nolan movies. Um, this this is a hard one for me. Um, yeah, these are both your movies, right? The, yeah, these are both. These are two of my no- nominations. Um, Max, I think you said in the first round, Interstellar. Every time I watch it, it makes me cry. One point or the other, I'm going to get teary-eyed. Um, both of these movies do something amazing, which is why I love both of these directors so much, is both of them have such an affiliation for old-school Hollywood. Practical effects, making things real miniatures, natural lighting, making things work. Alex, you said it with George Miller in Mad Max Fury Road. If you watch the before and after like white filters that they have on YouTube, a lot of it is very minimal. A lot of it is very minimal. They did a lot of practical stuff. Christopher Nolan is known for practical effects. He hates CGI, uses green screens when he has to, but Interstellar, all of the modules. I mean, the guy strapped an IMAX camera to the front of a Learjet to get the shots he wanted to do. The guy just continually breaks grounds in filmmaking while also paying homage to the guys that paved the way for him. So it's Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But then, and you go to The Dark Knight of flipping the semi truck, you go to Inception of rotating the hallway. Classic effects making an extravagant thing that. CGI could do, but it wouldn't look as good. And he did it in real life. Christopher Nolan Interstellar to me is just, I it, it is the best. In my opinion, it is the best space movie. I think I it is my favorite space. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's my favorite space movie. I wouldn't say it's the best. Space, it's my favorite space movie. Mad Max though was just such a groundbreaking thing for filmmaking George Miller being on the hiatus he was being able to come back after years of this creative property that he did three movies of and is able to just hey this movie I wanted to make 20 years ago let me make it now and he's able to with no little to no oversight little to no like interference he was just able to make his movie this is insanely hard for me I will say, as far as rewind, <laughs> I almost, I almost can't decide. This is uh, this is probably the hardest decision I've made as far as matchups go, and it's not even like my two favorite movies, but these two up against each other. For, and I'm now gonna have to look towards what can beat. There will be blood, or possibly <laughs> Godfather Part Two, or Inglorious Bastards. So I'm gonna go with Interstellar. Okay, so the the decision is up to Max then. 
Interstellar is wonderful. It is a wonderful love note to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is probably the best space movie of all time. Mad Max Fury Road moves on. It's just a, again, as Grant just got up on the soapbox and said, can't really make a bad decision between these two. But I think Mad Max is just, especially if I'm taking the black and chrome version, I, I get two movies to watch. Absolutely. Very fair. <laughs> I'm not um, mad about it. I'm not it's just mad more, about it. more entertaining, better rewatch. I'm not mad about it. Shout out to the wave, the first big wave on that water planet that they land on in Interstellar. I go back and rewatch that scene on YouTube like once every three months or something. Really, I love that scene. Really, those, those aren't mountains. Yeah. A, really fun, oh. a really fun Easter egg in Interstellar, now that we're moving on from it, is in that moment when they're on that planet, the music Hans Zimmer does ticks on yeah. second yeah, yeah, yeah yep, yep. every second is a month yep. back on earth yep 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 i've read that too and it just and like you it's so like <laughs> then once you know that every Someone's rewatch you know, you're just like that scene you're kind of like up. oh my guys come on <laughs> let's, let's, let's go so then it adds up to the 23 odd years that like you know anyways moving on moving in, on in, in this region who who got screwed I'm guessing that was probably the toughest matchup for you, Grant. Yeah, I would I would say Interstellar. Um, I love Mad Max. Like I want I want like I'm I'm not upset about it. I love yeah. Mad Max going forward. Interstellar for me was the one that and Alien and Prisoners <laughs> and Moneyball. This whole, <laughs> this whole section, this whole section. So for me, toughest matchup was Inglorious Bastards versus Alien. I think who got screwed was Prisoners. Um, and then our dark horse going forward is probably. I mean. There Will Be Blood and Fairy Road came in ranked pretty close to each other. There Will Be Blood was our 23rd overall film coming in, and Fairy Road was our 26th overall film coming in. But uh, they they play each other in the next round. So one of those will be moving on to the um, Elite Eight, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Any more thoughts? Moving on. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, Inglourious Bastards Alien definitely was probably the toughest matchup. And and I think Alien gets a little screwed there. I think yeah. put Alien up against Moneyball, no offense it, to Interstellar, or Prisoners, I think Alien moves on. It would have been really interesting, as, as we're round two, three brackets in, it would have been really interesting if we, with all of these movies, did our own personal average rankings to see how what this lineup would have been like. Oh, I get I, what you're saying, yeah. Because I think that there would have been a lot of... That this would have been completely different, but it's really interesting to see how much we hate movies that are fallen by the wayside. Uh, all right, so now on to our fourth and final region for this episode. We are going to start off with Pulp Fiction, Tarantino's classic, versus Donnie Darko, perhaps one of the greatest indie films ever made, um, cult films especially. Uh, so in this matchup, it's extremely tough. As much as I love Donnie Darko, and I think that, like, this was a discussion that I had with myself leading up to this matchup a lot, was, um, you know, trying to say what I love about each film and, you know, like, on a rating scale almost. Like, you know, and so I was thinking back even just recently to our soundtrack episode with Van, where I thought, well... I had Pulp Fiction as my fourth best soundtrack of all time, but I had Donnie as my first. So Music Edge, Donnie. Um, and then, you know, it's just like supporting cast of characters where I'm just like Pulp Fiction is stacked with a super deep bench. So is Donnie Darko. Um, you get one character in the center of the lens a lot more in Donnie. It's Jake, obviously. Um, 
but but pulp has you know it in spades with all the characters and the stories that it tells i think that what it came down to me in this matchup was pure entertainment and there have been times where i can watch johnny darko purely for entertainment's sake and then there's another time where i watch it and I noticed something that makes me question my entire relationship with the film, but in a good way, as in like, oh, I need to actually think about this a little harder. And like, does this all make sense? I know it makes sense in some way, shape or form. Pulp Fiction, there's not too much to figure out once you get the nonlinear timelines down. And I, in this matchup, I like that more for the one movie that I'm going to be stuck with for the rest of my life. So my vote may surprise some people, but it is for Pulp Fiction. I also am going for Pulp Fiction. Uh, Donnie Darko is is a great movie, like you said, one of the best indie movies. But there's just so much homework to do with Donnie Darko. There's like you can go so like wild with theories and online forums and and I really enjoy that stuff. Um, but I'm not going to be able to do that on a desert island. Shout out real quick to the uh, Delta engines that just dropped off of their planes or United engines, whatever they were, and kind of caused a real life Donnie Darko scenario in real life. I don't know if you guys saw that, but they like crashed into someone's house and all of a sudden it was like, I've seen this before. (laughs) To me, it was like Breaking Bad, Donnie Darko. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I'm going Pulp Fiction as well. Um, It is, is, we want to talk about rewatchability. It's still one of those movies, even though once you get it, there's not much more to discover, but there's more to appreciate. Exactly. In, in the performances, the nuances, um, especially one of my favorite parts every time I watch this is the opening scene between Pumpkin and Honeybun and just like their their conversation. And then also, it's a great first watch for when you see that and then how it all wraps up to the end and all the timelines kind of conjoining and that's, you know, the beauty of it. If I'm stuck on a desert island the rest of my life, and if I'm by myself, which this is the theory, you know, <laughs> this is the picture we're trying to paint here, and I have to quote movie lines out loud to myself, I'm going to have a lot more fun doing it with Tarantino's dialogue. Man, but when I was working at a restaurant, me and this one cook, we had this quote where we would just do Pulp Fiction quotes back and forth. It was basically... Like, I would put an order in, and I would say, Zed's dead, baby. And he he would just go, I'm sorry, baby, I had to crash that Honda. And it would, <laughs> it would just be like, so we knew what we were talking yeah. about. Like, the movie just, I, I think, outside of film, brings people together. Everyone knows Pulp Fiction, whether it, it whether you know have seen the movie or not. It's like Alien. You know the chest-bursting scene. You know the picture of the poster of Uma Thurman leaning on the bed. Also a cool Not thing. even in the movie, yeah. which is also, so great about I, that. I, I love that, is the photo shoots of movie posters that aren't part of the movie. It just sets a little tone. and Yeah, Pulp Fiction is just too historical, I think, to Going back, real, just real quick, not that we should be spending this much time on a movie that we're going to continue That's, to talk yeah, about, right. <laughs> um, but uh, listeners of this pod will know my sister, Rachel, and what they don't know probably, though, is that she's worked in the service industry for a majority of her life, and so I'll go and visit her on the job, whether she's, you know... Um, serving or bartending, whatever it may be. And I'll always, uh, like, not always, but sometimes I'll just, like, snap at her, hey, garçon. Yeah. And then she'll come over and she'll be like, garçon means boy. Yeah. Because that, that's just, from that opening scene, yep. there's so many little quotes like that that you can just 
then get and, to pick up on and appreciate. And that's some just great Tarantino writing to where he has an image, he has a story he wants to tell, but he'll just throw in as many little tiny things as he can to get you there to just immerse you into this world. And that opening scene of them just talking across a table in a coffee shop is just iconic. And it just lives on forever because, yeah... W- at the time of this recording, the Golden Globes were last night, and they talked about how it was a shame that we couldn't have the Golden Globes in person because Quentin would be, like, rummaging around army crawling under the tables, rubbing everyone's feet. Yeah. <laughs> just because, like, they know he has a foot fetish. Yeah. It's just this thing or whatever. But that really became apparent in this film when Sam Jackson and John Travolta are talking about giving foot massages. Foot you massages. Know? Um, the foot fucking master. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Pulp moves on. Pulp moves on. Uh, moving on to what could be the most debated matchup um i'm glad we spent a lot of time on pulp fiction because i'm sure this will take three seconds um yeah unfortunately i think this will take three seconds it is uh return of the jedi up against blue velvet before we move blue velvet on to the next round i don't know about that don't count your chickens oh okay well i know what i'm voting well, I know I, what you're voting. Max I'm, is the one I'm afraid of in this. <laughs> I, I don't know if you should be worried about Max. This, this, this matchup is very poetic, right? Because Return of the Jedi, David Lynch is supposed to direct, right? Back, right. back in the 80s. He, is going, he has been picked by George Lucas to direct. He passes, ends up making Blue Velvet. Yep. Okay, I forgot that Max is very passionate negatively about both of these films. So I'm gonna, I think we're going to leave it to him. I will say of... The times I've talked about Return of the Jedi on this podcast, for those who aren't or who don't remember or aren't familiar, Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film for the idea that it kind of wraps up the idea of the classic story trope of good, bad, evil, and everything in between. Of we finally get the the end all be all bad guy. We get the good guy that struggled the entire way. The redemption of his father, Darth Vader. Yes, we get the teddy bear Ewoks and the aesthetic of the, you know, kid crew. But in my personal opinion, you get the 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 overall epicness of the Jabba Tatooine battle in the beginning and the final battle at Endor, which you don't really get in Empire. You get the battle at Hoth and there's nothing else climactic other than the reveal of vader and luke's relationship so on and so forth so i think return of the jedi they had to just you know go above and beyond which is why the third act is the emperor's already there with luke and we don't see much of them we'd see most of the battle and for that time period if you go back and you don't watch the special edition version if you go on youtube and you look at the original 80s version of return of the jedi and their special effects Still f- pretty fucking impressive. And Return of the Jedi kind of, I think, just stepped it up a little bit and just kind of had a little bit more of the the weight that I, as, as far as I feel as Star Wars. So that's why I pick it. Blue Velvet, I know, holds a huge, a huge part in, in Alex's favorite filmography. So I'm going to pass the torch to him before we go to Max, maybe, who votes on it. But um, I, I did rewatch Blue Velvet. I enjoyed it a lot more than the first time I watched it. It still has a lot of fucking problems. But to me, Jedi is too much of a... I could watch Return of the Jedi every single day for the rest of my life because it's Star Wars. I love Star Wars. It's my favorite. And I that's, I'm, that's why I'm voting for it. It could be the worst Star Wars movie and I'll watch it every single fucking day. 
I think the problems that some people have with David Lynch's films are that they are almost too, while being so surreal, they're too rooted in reality yeah. to where like the domestic abuse that gets talked about um, and shown in Blue Velvet upsets so many people because it's it feels real. And, and so you just got to give David credit for being um, brave enough to, to show that on screen and to tackle that. And I mean, that's what art is. That's what art is, people, um, is handling tough, sensitive issues, uh, you know, in, in the lens in which you see them and then pre- putting them out there for the public to view and judge, which is incredibly brave within its own right. And this movie struck enough, struck, a, struck the chord with enough people to where it's still considered one of his best. Um, it's the only remaining film. Well, it's the only film of his to make the bracket. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to get my vote. That doesn't shouldn't come to any surprise. And now, Max, you can go. But before I just so because Grant nominated Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. your favorite of the original three, which is technically four, five, and six, is Empire Strikes Back. No, actually, A New Hope. A New Hope favorite. is your favorite. Okay. <laughs> See, but like, all this time, Max, I thought Empire was what you were arguing. If A New Hope was what you were arguing, I would have just stood by the way, wayside. I think like, Empire yeah. is a better movie than Return of the Jedi. But I think okay. I, New Hope is my favorite Star Wars. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, and, and again, I yeah, I looked at myself in the mirror for a while talking, talking to myself about this matchup. Because do I want to watch teddy bears cutting off stormtrooper heads, using them as drums... Or do I want to watch Dennis Hopper telling me huffing nitrous? Are they uh, huffing nitrous and saying, uh, "Mommy wants to fuck"? And I had to really look inside, inside and deep inside of me, and I think there might be something wrong because at the end of the day, I'm I am going to pick Blue Velvet. Return of the Jedi is 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 a kids movie, and it's just I can't. I I'm not going to sit there and watch Return of the Jedi over and over again. Um, and it does have some really good special effects. I will give you that. The speeder chase in the in Endor on Endor is fantastic. The to this woods, day, yeah. The sound of it, and even like the look of it, looks, so looks all right. So then, let me ask you: Is the kid part literally just the Ewoks? Because I can't think of any other kid aspect of this movie. If anything, I can think of more kid aspects in Empire than I can. It's Return it's, of the, it's Jedi. the Ewoks, and it's and it's the. It's the opening the, like thirty minutes the with grandiose, Java. Yeah, all the it just it becomes it. Return of the Jedi just becomes so overstuffed. Like the la, like the the space fight uh, at the Death Star. I mean, it just it turns into a toy commercial. It really See, does. And my response to why you feel um, Return of the Jedi is overstuffed is to where I feel like nothing happens in Empire. Oh my god. It, Everything happens in no, Empire. No, yes. So, the, you know, two things happen in Empire. Two, three things happen in Empire. Maybe four. <laughs> the Empire attacks Hoth. The good guys run off. Vader, uh, Luke finds Vader. He says he's his father. Mm. The The rest Luke, of the Luke, crew Luke is hiding on a an Jedi. asteroid the entire Luke time. Luke becomes a Jedi. No, he doesn't. Master Yoda. He does not become a Jedi until in between the two movies, and Yoda even says so. Luke even admits to it. He's not... Like, there's almost nothing that happens other than Luke disobeying Han Solo Obi-Wan and Yoda the entire tonight. time. 
Han Solo, one of the one of the favorite. I don't know why we're talking about Star Wars, but one of the favorite characters of all time yeah. in all of movies gets captured and and put into carbonite, and you think at the end of that movie, you think Han Solo is dead. Empire is a great middle chapter to yeah. the overall story. It's a better yeah. Anyways, <laughs> what I wish would have happened is that David Lynch would have directed. Return of the Jedi. I How think, fucking cool would that I have I think been? we can all agree that The Last <laughs> Jedi by Ryan Johnson is the best Star Wars movie. Okay. And Blue I, Velvet moves on. And if you did not pick up on the sarcasm there, then I should reevaluate my entire life <laughs> because I'm lying. Um, yeah. Anywho. I know better so, than I can't, wait, I can't about... wait for the Star Wars. Episode. So Blue yeah. Velvet moves on. Blue Velvet moves as, on. As I assumed it would. <laughs> The next matchup, Sicario up against The Untouchables. Uh, two of my two of my favorite movies. Uh, really, really tough decision here. Uh, De Palma again. I think it, Untouchables is De Palma's masterpiece. Right, that, that is like the apex, probably, of his career. Sadly, um, maybe Mission Impossible. Maybe that's commercially, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he does so many awesome like tricks in it. The point of view camera, some of the Dutch angles he's got, the slow motion chasing the carriage down the stairs. Uh, he he really shows off his mastery in that movie. Sicario. You could say the same thing for Denny Villeneuve. Some of the great greatest shots. Uh, in modern cinema, I mean, we talked a lot about the car chase or the crossing the border uh, in the last episode. Let's not forget about the uh, towards the end there, the night vision scenes, or in the very beginning with the bomb exploding and finding the bodies in the in the house, like just the tension it builds. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think this just these movies are both great, but I think the modernization of Sicario puts it above the untouchables and I'm probably just debating myself right here because I think you guys are probably going to go Sicario as well. But, um, I think it just has a better tension building atmosphere that unfortunately, because untouchables was made when it was made, doesn't have. Yeah. De De Palma is one of my favorite directors. Listeners of the show will know that. Um, but Sicario, to me is turning in at Sicario came in as our 54th ranked film out of 64. And it is now for those like who watch basketball and March Madness, it is now like my Moorhead state. It is now like my Butler. It is like the true Cinderella. Now that is knocking off these big name movies round by round. And so to go up against Django and Quentin in the first round, and now you're going up against De Palma in the second round, and I'm going to vote for Sicario. So it's going to move on. I don't know where you were leaning, Grant. Oh, I'm a hundred percent going to Sicario. Yeah, I mean, this is how Cinderella's are made, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything that the untouchables does well, Sicario does better. Um, as far as tension goes, I, I loved the untouchables. I had problems with it when I first watched it as far as, and all of it stemmed from the time it was made. The the action scenes, the gun, the gun firing, the gun handling to me was just a little like, oh, this is very much a 80s, 90s kind of like gangster film. Sicario is very real. Tactile. You feel like this is what happens when things like this happen. Um, 
Everything about Sicario is just a masterpiece film. I, I like The Untouchables. I thought I was going to have to argue a lot more. I'm glad that this... I'm surprised and stoked that this is a clean sweep. I think looking at this, even with an, We have one more matchup, but looking at the entire bracket, this is the underdog. This is, this is what you were saying, the Cinderella story that could now, with this matchup, go all the way. Sicario is an amazingly borderline, dare I say perfect film so i i you're and you yeah you're not out of bounds by saying that at all i we could have said this about fury road but um we'll say it now about sicario sicario has something special about it to where once you've seen it then if it's been a year two years maybe even less time six months or something and all of a sudden you're having like a bar conversation around it or something like that you instantly want to go back and fire it up like that is that to me is i such, think i'm gonna watch it tonight <laughs> right it's such a good <laughs> that's such a good testament to a movie's rewatchability um where and i think i said this about i actually think i said it about rear window back on our isolation episode but um it's it's funny when you've seen a movie a bunch but you so like in your mind maybe just because you're so you almost kind of like black out while you watch it because you're just so into it you kind of forget certain parts and then all of a sudden you'll be watching it and you're like, oh shit, I, I, I kind of forgot that this part is next or even like the ending, you know, like I'm, you know, like right now I know what Emily Blunt does to the Benicio del Toro character. Don't want to spoil it for anybody who maybe hasn't seen it, but every single time that that scene's happening, I'm like, what, what how, how does this end? I kind of forget. How does this end? And you're just like on the edge of your seat the entire time. It's really interesting that that film can do that. Well, the first two times I watched it. I get through the whole thing. And then the third time I watched it, it gets to the part in the beginning where they find the bodies in the drywall. That's where I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about this part in this movie where there's so much more down the line that captivates you. Mm-hmm. That such a harrowing, captivating thing at the beginning, you forget about. And then the, the next time you watch it, you're like, oh shit. So yeah, Sicario. Sicario's awesome. So is the Untouchables, but yeah. Sicario's yeah. getting the modern bump, I yep. would say, yes. in this in this matchup for sure. All right, last matchup of the evening. Very interesting one. P- potentially, maybe and we've had some spirited discussions, but this is going to be this should be good. Uh, we have Jurassic Park going up against Goodfellas. Talk about two movies that are rewatchable, mm. that broke ground, that. For one of them is for the score. The other is for the use of pop music, but incredible soundtracks, um, iconic performances. Yeah, I mean. By, by like, lead actors who kind of just, like, disappeared and Sam Neill and Ray Liotta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and they, very and fair. They, and then they both kind of come back <laughs> at the same time doing completely different things. Sam Neill's doing indie darlings. Ray Liotta's doing garbage crime mob movies. Yep, very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, so yeah, this, this should be fun. I mean, this is one where I'm looking at the movie full spectrum and to me, I I haven't really gone this way with very many of my picks. Goodfellas is not my favorite Scorsese film. Um, and, and so in this matchup, I, I don't really know why, but I'm going against the cinephile in me and I'm going more towards like the blockbuster kid. Uh, and what I just kind of want to watch over and over. So I'll th- throw my vote out first for Jurassic Park. What is Scorsese's best movie? To me, it's Taxi Driver. Oh, 
And then, and then it, I've always had a real soft spot, a movie that uh, when I went back and I looked at our list that we had made from like seven years ago and that always has kind of been a fringe top 20, top 30 for me. I love the fuck out of Gangs of New York. I just, I think that movie is awesome. I know your works. And you're lukewarm. <laughs> yeah. God, I love that movie. That, that almost made my list. It almost made my list. A pig's flesh is a lot like a man's. Oh, that's a good, that's a good step. Yep. Oh, under the arm. That's a kill. Yep. Oh, that's a kill. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day and Leo in that movie are doing some incredible things. Uh, but yeah, to me, I think it's Taxi Driver. Goodfellas is on the short list. Um, but in this matchup, for whatever reason, I'm going I'm going with the dinosaurs. Going Jurassic Park. I, I'm going with Goodfellas. Uh, I think Goodfellas, the re- <laughs> and, and again, these, as Alex kind of laid out, like these movies are almost oddly like carbon copies of each other. Like they're both such great hits of cinema that when you watch them like you both you get a rush from watching either of these movies i think they come out within like three years of each other too or something yeah Yeah. and you know we can have a debate about you know jurassic park could be steven spielberg's you know in his top three goodfellas could be in martin scorsese's top three two of our like most important directors of the last you know 50 60 years um Really, really tough decision. And I love Jurassic Park. In fact, I knew Jurassic Park was going to be on Grant's list, or I assumed, which is why it wasn't on my list. But Goodfellas was on my list. And good, revisiting Goodfellas, it's just the it's just an amazing American crime odyssey. And but you know, there's a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow, I hate this right now. Um, I grew up with both of these movies in completely different spectrums. Um, I have two older brothers, so I never had a room of my own growing up. No matter what room I was in, in my parents' house, either the Jurassic Park or the Goodfellas poster was up. I, I grew up with those posters my time. Before I even saw the movie, I knew who Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and Paul Savino were just for that movie poster. I read Jurassic Park before I saw the movie because I had the movie poster up. Then I remember it was the first movie um, I saw at my uncle's house that I had to have a blanket over my head when the T-Rex came out. My parents had to shield my eyes because it was too much. Both of these movies have been so iconic during my life. I hate this. <laughs> this is worse than the other movies that I both nominated. Like this is this is really hard for me. Um, Jurassic Park, Spielberg, iconic blockbuster. You can't argue with it. It is momentous. On the Goodfellas side, I love the narration of Ray Liotta. One of my favorite parts in in Robert De Niro's entire acting history is in this movie, to where it's the, it's the moment where Ray Liotta is separated from his wife and he's staying at this apartment, and the guys come to come try and talk some sense and sends into him, and the boss is Paul Savino's character is like, I'm not saying you have to go back right now, but you have to go back. And then Robert De Niro just comes in. It's the most Italian thing I've ever seen in my life in a movie where he just goes, Hey man, I got, I got your girl. I got my girl at the house. They're talking to each other. I can't have it. I can't, I can't have it. And it's just the way, the way he just, I'm not joking. That's not me like paraphrasing. It's literally how he says, he goes, I can't have it. I can't have it. It's how he says it to him. It's just so 
fucking perfect and just amazing. I I love these movies so much, but if we have to talk about rewatchability, just coming down to it, I have to go with Jurassic Park. Wow. The the soundtrack, the uh, the 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 CGI, the the different genres it breaks as we talked in the last episode, horror to action to thriller to drama, left and right and back and forth. Goodfellas is good. It's a great mob film, but we have Godfather 1 and 2 in here that are just Your better. Italian ancestors are throwing meatballs at you. <laughs> no, they're not, because, <laughs> because they know Godfather 1's still in the mix. I'm making the meat sauce while we're, you know, we're going to the mattresses and we're, we're bundling up. But Jurassic Park, you can't argue with the raptor horror scene with the projection getting printed over them. You know, the kid actors... Everyone, everything about Jurassic Park is just great, and I and the be, and the best part about both of these is it's not going to move on. So I did. It doesn't matter what I pick because the next round we already know it's going to win. So <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. We'll it is see. interesting. Like Jurassic Park and Goodfellas are two of like the most American. Like if someone came, if an alien came down, and was like, show me some American cinema. Yeah. Jurassic Park, Goodfellas. That's like, right. it's so Oh man, it's crazy that they got matched up to it. Yeah, absolutely I, agree. I I thought Goodfellas was gonna go a lot farther, but Jurassic Park to me is just more. I can watch that on an island every day and yep. never get tired of that movie. Yeah, you crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> Having said that, I think that it's pretty easy to label that one probably our toughest matchup from this region. Absolutely. However, um, you could also say Jurassic Park. You know, it it finds a way. Life, you know, life life finds a way. <laughs> um, yeah, faster, faster. And then I think that you have, I think you have. Um, I don't know, maybe Donnie or the Untouchables with the toughest break here. What do you think? Honestly, or I, Goodfellas with the toughest break. I think Goodfellas. I think. Yeah. Had the toughest, yes, no. yeah, I think that's the toughest matchup. Could have gone either way. I, I think, the loser of that's going to have the toughest break. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think Pulp Fiction handedly beats Donnie every time. Unfortunately, I think. And the, I think Blue Velvet handedly beats Return of the Jedi, and I, I think Sicario handedly beats. I was going to say it, in this time. bracket, it seems like Goodfellas in all three categories is the yeah the yeah. underdog yeah. that ends up and then Sicario amazing. of course is our our dark horse that might yeah. not be that that's on everyone's the radar 54. now yeah that is on everyone's radar so that does it for our round of 32 to those films that eliminated on today's episode congrats of course on making it this far and to the films moving on to the sweet 16 well done but it's no time to celebrate yet the road to the final four cannot be driven in cruise control tougher opponents await. We hope that all of you have been enjoying this tournament and our March releases so far. We do have some upcoming deviations built into our schedule as a little film that you might have heard Grant talk about once or twice is finally premiering this upcoming Thursday. Wait, what what are we talking about? It it got greenlit not that long ago. I don't know if you saw... Oh, that's right. Zack Snyder's Justice League! <laughs> it's uh, this Thursday? So, so close. By the time this episode is released. Yes. 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 March it will 18th. Be, yeah. Yeah. March 18th wow. at midnight. Four hours. Four, four hours. hours and, and two and minutes. 20, and two minutes. Two minutes. There will be chapter intermissions. <laughs> We're going to be talking about it a lot, baby. Um, so be on the lookout for a Snyder Cut review episode along with the continuation of this tournament. I do want to give a quick shout out to the Silver Screams podcast here at the Chatter Network. 
I myself was able to go on their show last week and talk about my favorite horror film ever, a movie that we've talked about a lot so far in this bracket, The Shining. Um, so be sure uh, to give that episode a listen and subscribe to their show if you're a fan of the genre. If you're headed out to the theaters, of course, be safe and wear a mask. And until next time, we will see you at the movies. Stay swell and give them hell. Drink movies, watch beer, and listen to the Chatter Network. 